And I'm so glad you're here today. And um, you know, when I was a little kid, when I was younger, I had a nickname. They used to call me the fattest wall of all. I, I, was, a, I was a little, and I was, I was intimidated by that because I got some relatives that are on the hefty side, okay? They, uh, and so I thought, man, really? Um, but, and, but I was a kid that had to wear husky jeans, okay? Anybody, if mom had to buy them husky jeans, you don't have to admit that, I did. Um, and, um, and I'll never forget, when I was in the seventh grade, we went on our first ski trip. And it was the first time I'd ever been skiing, snow skiing. And um, we drove to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and, and uh, we were hungry. And we get to our hotel, and it was close to a Sonic. And so we walked to the, the Sonic, and, um, and I, had, um, I was so excited because I had gotten an extra large root beer float and uh, some tater tots with cheese and chili. And man, it was this Sonic though, and it was cold. And so we were gonna go back to the hotel and I'm walking back to the hotel with this in my hand. I'm so excited. Tony Gray is next to me and I'm looking at Tony talking to him. And all of a sudden, and I, I took a step over the curb and I didn't pay attention that there was about a two foot drop off. And I'm looking at Tony and all of a sudden, you know, have you ever had one of those moments where you're like, things just aren't right right now and I'm not sure why. And, um, and so I, I was just, it was slow motion. I was curious as to why I'm heading towards the pavement. And so I turned just in time for the straw to hit me right in the forehead, pierced my forehead I had this perfect circular indention. It was bleeding on my forehead. I just smashed the root beer float and tater tots were everywhere. And, and I, was, I sat there and thought, life is not fair, right? Um, that was one of the first moments that I realized it's not fair. Life's not fair, right? When did you figure out life wasn't fair? That was my moment right there. You know, we're, we're going to look at this incredible passage today. And, and, and when you think about the arrest of Jesus, the whole thing was simply unfair. And it wasn't right. It, it, it was this moment that is, it, it shows what's wrong with the world. And, and it's, a, it's an important passage to process. And so I want you to turn to John chapter 18. And we're going to continue this journey um, through the steps of Jesus, because last week Chad helped us process the arrest of Jesus, and today we're gonna we're gonna look at his trial, the trial of Jesus. Now, there are so many things that are taking place with the trial of Jesus that that we can't look at all of it. But what I want to do is kind of uh, turn the camera on to several of those scenes, and I want us to. To, to learn from Jesus. You know, Peter in his book, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says this about Jesus. And before we read John 18, I want you to look at what Peter says. Because he's describing Jesus in this moment. And listen to what he says. He says, but, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But... If you suffer for doing good and endure it, look at this, this is commendable before God. Look what Peter says. He says, to this you were called. Now think about that. You and I are called to this. 
these moments of, of receiving a beating for doing good. It's what Jesus experienced. It's, it's a calling that we have on our life. Look at what he says. He says, because Christ suffered for you, look at this, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now think about that. You and I are called to follow in the steps of Jesus. Now, what did he do? He committed no sin, Peter says, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. But instead, look at this. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And we see, as we look at the, the trial of Jesus, he is in the middle of entrusting himself to God the Father. Turn to John chapter 18, and, and let's, let's learn today from the steps of Jesus. Would you stand with me? And let's read the text this morning. John chapter, chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 12. And... And I want you to see what happened. Jesus had just been arrested. Verse 12 says this. So the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to Annas first. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Verse 14, now Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now what, what I pray that we can do this morning is that we can take a look at the arrest of Jesus and learn from his steps. Learn what steps you and I are to follow. Because Peter tells us, he reminds us that, that we are to follow in the steps of Jesus. Now, we know that, that we don't have to follow in the steps of paying for the price for our sins because that's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why he came to the earth. He came and was, was unjustly arrested. He was unjustly put on trial. And he went to the cross and he paid the price for you and me. Now, we don't have to do that because he did that. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. However, there are some things that I think we need to see this morning in the life of Jesus that, that we need to follow him. We need to act like him. You know, as we process, and I hope that, that like our drama is following the Lent challenge that we are going through and, and of learning for us to learn how to know Jesus as Lord of all of our lives. So often people compartmentalize their life. They, they, they serve the Lord on Sunday, but the truth is we are to walk with Jesus every day, that your life should look the same on Sunday as it does on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Because following Jesus impacts all of us. We are called to know him as Lord of all. And Jesus right here in the trial teaches us some incredible things. Early in the morning, we saw last week that Jesus was arrested. And, and, and there are all these scenes going on around the, the arrest of Jesus. John, in John 18 and 19, he kind of focuses on some, some specific scenes. And that's where I want us to, to kind of hang out today. But, but when you think about these tri this trial that Jesus was going, going through, 
He's teaching us something very important. And I want you to see the first thing in your notes. Follow along with me. That we are called to trust God's plan even when life is not fair. You see, Peter writes that he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And, and you know, this was unfair. This was not right to what was going on. And, and, and it's incredible. Early Friday morning before dawn, Jesus was led from the garden. And he was led to, to, to Annas. And, and, and John is the only one that records his first encounter with Annas in the trial. And, and Annas was, was uh, you know, historically in the, in, the, in, in, in the children of Israel, there was one high priest. But the Romans kind of changed things. And, and now there were, this was the first time in history there were multiple high priests still alive. Annas was one of these, one of these opportunistic men. He was one of the most evil men in all Jewish history. And, and we, you've heard about him, even though you may not understand it's Annas. He was this influential, influential man among the Jews, among the Romans. And, and he succeeded in kind of making sure that his sons and his son-in-law, which was Caiaphas, that they were appointed as these religious leaders. Now, Annas was, was interesting because he was the one that kind of had the monopoly on the selling of, of animals for the temple. Remember when Jesus went to the temple and he saw them selling these animals? And he got so mad that, and, and, and here's what I love about Jesus because most, time, most of the times we picture Jesus as this kind of really uh, meek man. And he was meek. But you know what meekness is? It's, it's power under control. And, and Annas was in charge of, this, of, this, of the money changing in the temple. And what would happen is, is they, would, they would sell these items um, for forgiveness. People would buy these animals. They would go into the temple. They would offer them to God. But, but he was raising the prices. It was just a, it was a racket, and Jesus saw this, and he went into the temple and picked up that 400-pound table. I mean, he didn't like pick it up like this, but he knocked it over. And Jesus was so angry that they were, they were that flippant about forgiveness. Anna, Annas owned all these things. He was the one making all the money in, in the temple. And, and so they were mad at Jesus because Jesus was influencing their prophets and just a few days earlier, before the arrest, Jesus had overturned the money changers in the temple. He was angry with them. And now Annas, they're getting back to him, back at him. And it was, he was this horrible Jewish leader. Look at what happened. He stands before Annas, verse 19, talks about that, that he's questioning Jesus about his disciples in verse 19. And he, he starts saying, look, did you say all these things? And Jesus basically says in John uh, 18, 19 and, and following, he says, look, I, you know what I've taught. I've not taught in secret and, and he's giving a defense about what he's taught before Annas. And, 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 um, and look what happened in verse 22. He says, when he, Jesus spoke to Annas and he said, when he said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus in the face, struck him. Is that the way you answer the high priest? And Jesus said, wait, wait a minute, did I speak wrongly? And he looked at him, he said, why did you hit me? Why did you strike me? 
Do you know that that was at that moment Jesus was arrested, but he had not been convicted of a crime. And so it was illegal for anybody to strike a prisoner before they had been convicted. And I want you to think about this. Jesus, the son of God, the one that had healed people, the one that had done all these things, he's standing before Annas and this man just takes his fist and just punches him in the face. You know what I call that? I call that a near-death experience for that guy. You know why? I want you to, I want you to remember what, what Jesus said to Peter. Remember, Chad talked to a priest on this last week about Malchus. Remember Malchus? He was the one that got his ear cut off. Now, you got to understand, when you look at the trial of Jesus, you see all the Gospels kind of giving different aspects of the trial. Now, now some people look at, use this and say, see, the Bible's inconsistent. The Bible doesn't, uh, it contradicts each other because you have these different accounts. That is a very, very weak argument. For example, if, if all of us saw a wreck happen on 96th Street and we all gave an account of that wreck, it would all be a little different, right? Because we would be giving an account from our perspective. So you see different perspectives. So don't worry about that, that, that uh, argument that people that don't follow Jesus throw out at us. Because John is a little different, but, but Matthew records about what Jesus said to, said, to, said to Peter. And I want you to see it. I got it on the screen. He says, um, uh, let's, let's start in um, verse 52. Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place. All those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Verse 53 in Matthew 26, he says, do you, or do you not think that I could appeal to my father and at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Okay, Peter defends Jesus right here. And Jesus said, I could call 12 legions of angels. Jesus uses this military analogy. You know what a legion is? One legion, a Roman army that was a legion was 6,000 soldiers. And Jesus says to Peter, I could call 12 legions of angels. Can you imagine heaven in that moment? Can you, I just want you to try to imagine 12 legions of angels watching all this take place. First Peter is so interesting because the, he tells us that the, in, in chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, that the angels are longing to look into how all these things work out. They don't know everything. I can just picture legions of angels ready and when that man struck Jesus in the face, I can almost picture an argument in heaven going, I want him. I, I want that guy, right? And, 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 and I, just, I just am amazed. And in this situation that was so unfair, and Jesus had the power to call all these angels that would come, I'm talking bringing some heat, to these guys that thought they were bad dudes. And yet he willingly went to the cross. You see, Jesus is teaching us something, and I don't want us to miss it, to trust the Lord when life is not fair.
Do you know what? There are, we, we see Christians being killed more so now than even in the history of the world. I've, I've heard about atrocities in Iraq, and, and we have some church members right now that are in, a, in Iraq and Afghanistan serving the underground church. And you know what? There are so many situations that life is not fair. You and I will be treated unfairly because of our faith. We may lose jobs in the future. We may have to face genuine persecution and a government that maybe comes against us. Guess what? God, Jesus modeled for us how to trust the Lord when life is not fair. Look at what he says in verse 54. I want you to see this. In Matthew 26, he says, when, when, when he says this to Peter, he says, Peter, don't defend me right now. How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen in this way? And see, as we think about, as we process the steps of Jesus in this trial, he's willingly going to the cross and he's willingly giving his life. He's allowing unjust treatment upon himself. And Peter says, look, you and I are to follow in his steps. We've got to build the kind of trust in the Lord that when unjust treatment happens to us, that we say, Lord, we trust your plan. We trust you. You know, I've known there's people around us, people that I love that They've lost their jobs, and in some ways, it's been an unfair moment. Let's grow. Let's, let's grow a faith that says, Lord, we trust you even when life is unfair. And it's a, in fact, like kind of to follow up what Chad said earlier, and I want you to see this. Justin Sullivan wrote this in his journal. He wrote, be thankful that life is not fair. For if it were fair, we would not receive Christ's forgiveness. Find satisfaction in what God has allowed us to do and don't dwell on what we've not done. And see, I, I, I too am grateful that life is not fair. Because when I look at my own journey, I would not know forgiveness if life was fair because I don't deserve it. And can I tell you the, the forgiveness of Christ, this journey to the cross, we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But see, we sang this, Brent sang this song over us about God's amazing grace. And, and I pray that we come to understand how amazing his grace is in each one of us. Because if we do, if we fully grasp the amazing grace in our own lives, we'll extend that grace to others. I pray that we see this today. There's a second thing that we see in, as, as Jesus goes to the cross, and I wanna turn the spotlight on what John kinda highlighted for us, but, but see, Jesus, the whole time, he kept reaching out to people. 
And he's modeling for us this very important idea, this very important truth to never stop reaching out to those who cross your path. That there are people that cross your path and we're to always reach out to them. And we see Jesus doing this. Now, the first one John references is Peter because he goes to Peter's denial. And it's really interesting that, that right before dawn, he's at the residence and, and Peter's out front and, and, and Jesus is inside with, with Caiaphas and with Pilate and all. The, he, he's, he's standing before Annas and, and, and Caiaphas right here. And Peter's outside. And it's that incredible moment where Peter denies Jesus. And it's like the closet that Brent articulated. There are things, the, the closet represents our failures the things we want to hide, the things we are ashamed of. And you know what? This was, this was Peter's most shameful moment in all his life, and Jesus called it. Right before, the, in the Last Supper, Jesus is with Peter, and he says, Peter, you're going to deny me tonight. Before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. And right here, John records this moment as, as Peter is out there and he's warming himself by the fire and, and this, this girl, Malchus's relative, looks at him and says, you, you are with him. Jesus is, is in his lowest moment. He's on trial. He's, he's being accused. He's been struck in the face. And yet the one that's closest to him is right outside and she said, you were with him. And he cusses and says, I didn't know him. I never knew him. And then the rooster crowed three times. You know what? Right then, Peter recognizes his failure. And when you look at how Jesus reached out to Peter, how, how he taught him, he called him as a fisherman and said, look, I wanna, I wanna work in your life. I wanna make you a fisher of men. And yet Peter was flippant. See, when, when I think of Peter, I think of myself. I think of how amazing it is that God knew that Peter was gonna deny him. And yet he still went to the cross for him. Isn't it amazing that God knows you? He, knew, he knows all your failures. You see, the closet that we think we lock, he sees it all. He knows it all. And yet he still died for you. It's Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. And you see in this moment, as Jesus is on trial, we know that he reached out to Peter. He, he connected to his heart. We see in the trial, and we don't have time to go into all the details, that, that he goes to the Caiaphas and this religious elite, and they ask him, are you the son of God? And he says, yes, I am. He shows himself. He reaches out to them and says, look, I am God. I'm the one you've been looking for. These are men with their doctorate degree, if you will. These were men that knew the Old Testament. And Jesus points and says, look, I've come. I am him. I am he. If my grammar is bad today, that's okay. It's time change Sunday. I'm, him. I'm the guy. And they missed him. You see, but Jesus still went to the cross for them. 
You know, he stands before Pilate, and John records this in, in, in verse 33. You look down in, in John 18, 33, and, and he goes before Pilate in the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, look what, look what Pilate says. He says, are you the king of the Jews? You know, in every gospel, they start with this, and they, they record that Pilate says this. And, and obviously, he's like, are you really him? How can you be the king of the Jews? Here he is with probably his eye is already starting to swell from the guy punching him in the face. Look what Jesus says to him in verse, verse 34. Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Isn't that interesting? In this moment, Jesus is reaching out to Pilate saying, look, are you asking if I'm the king, and he goes on, Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew. You're, uh, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? And, and Pilate, is he's inquiring about Jesus. He's saying, who are you? What have you done? And you see that Jesus goes on in 36, and he says, look, I want you to know, Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. And in this moment, he's helping Pilate see who he is. And he goes on, look at verse, uh, goes on in verse 37. Pilate said to him, you are a king? Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. Look at this. For this I have been born. For this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate, in his cynic state, he's so cynical, he's so jaded, he like, what is truth? I don't even know what truth is. In the midst of Pilate's cynicism, in the midst of his, of his doubt, Jesus still went to the cross for him. You know, there's another person John doesn't mention, but I think we need to mention today. And it's Judas. Remember Judas? You know, Matthew talks about Judas. And after the arrest, Judas has this revelation that, what have I done? You know, uh, he doesn't repent of what he's done. He's remorseful of what he has done. And he goes back to the chief priest. Matthew, Matthew 26 records this, that he, he goes back and says, hey, I was wrong. He's an innocent man. And they said, hey, it's too late. And he grabs those 30 pieces of silver and he throws them. And Acts records that he goes and hangs himself. But, but think about how Jesus reached out to Judas. Remember in the Last Supper? In the Last Supper, Jesus is with the disciples and Jesus knows, okay, this is the moment. I'm going to the cross and, and, and I'm gonna be arrested. And the Bible says that, that he reached the so he took the bread, he dipped it in the wine, and he handed it to Judas. Do you know that was a tradition? That was an act of devotion. That was an act of, of I deeply love you. Judas knew it. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says that right after Jesus did that, Satan entered into him. Jesus knew that. And he looked at him and said, Whatever you have to do, do it quickly. And Judas went and betrayed Jesus. But think about Judas. He was at every service. 
He was at everything that Jesus did. He, was, he saw it. He was a witness. And I, and I think about those that, that, that are like Judas that come to church all the time and they, and they hear the Lord and they hear his word preached and they, and they keep saying, oh, I'm not going to follow him. But up to the very end, you see Jesus reaching out to even Judas. And you know what? He went to the cross for him. I want you to see that Jesus, all through his trial, is reaching out. And you know, we're one of the ones he reached out to as well. I think about the people I'm praying for. I'm praying for, for JC and I'm praying for Omar. I got a boom, boom prayer going. Oh, I'm so excited to pray for these people. The guy I'm praying for, someone's got his bracelet. I, I got to say to him yesterday, Nick, I'm praying for you. And, and we're praying for you every day. He's like, really? Okay. You know what we find? We're inviting people to Passion Week. We're inviting people to Easter. We're praying for people. And just like each one of these characters in the, in the, in the trial of Jesus, as, as, Jesus, as they, they explore Jesus, Pilate is saying, Jesus, who are you? And what we find is that really what is taking place is they're not searching for Jesus. It's Jesus searching for them. You know, when we think we're searching for Christ, we come to understand that it's actually Christ searching us. You see, we're inviting people to come to the Passion Week and go through that experience to see Jesus. You know what they're gonna find? It's our Savior that's seeking them. You know, these people that we're praying for, this wasn't our idea. This was the Holy Spirit of God putting them on our hearts. You see, God draws people. And see, it's amazing to see the heart of God here because in the midst of his drawing, he doesn't force himself upon us. Has God been drawing your heart? You see, this is why we are people that are trusting the Lord. This is why it's such an incredible adventure to be, to be called to serve the Lord in this place. This is why as a church, we've got to think about, Lord, we are called to, to, to connect with people, to serve people like Jesus did for us. You see, coming to Jesus wasn't your idea. God drew your heart. Is God doing that now in you? It breaks my heart for people that I know that, that follow Pilate's cynicism or that follow Judas's outright rebellion you know, or, or the religious leaders, they, they studied it, but they missed him. And I don't want you to miss our Savior. I don't want people in my life that I love, that I know, that I don't want them to miss Christ. And, and you know, the truth is, I want to I be a witness. I want to be an ambassador for Christ. 
I want to follow in his step and never stop reaching out to people that need Jesus. There's a third thing that we see here, and I want you to notice the fearlessness of Jesus. Look at, look at chapter 19, turn over real quick, and we're going to look at this chapter briefly. As the arrest of Jesus continues to unfold, Pilate took Jesus and he had him beaten. And he put a crown of thorns on his head. And, and you know, Pilate is this interesting figure that, that he was superstitious, he was ruthless. He listened to his wife, you know, he, she was speaking into him, going, watch this guy. But yet, there was something about Jesus that thought, hey, there's something about him. He tried to set him free. And you see the people saying, look, we want Barabbas, release Barabbas to us, because that was a tradition, a custom, that at Passover they would release a prisoner. And look at this dialogue that, that, that Pilate has with Jesus. And, and, and he, he calls him back into his inner chamber. Look at verse 10. And, and Jesus wouldn't give him an answer when he said, um, are you the son of God? Pilate asked him that. Jesus, verse, verse nine says, he, Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and I have the authority to crucify you? Look at how Jesus manned up on this answer. Look at this. Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And then Pilate, the story goes, he releases Barabbas and he sends him out to be crucified. But you know what we see in Jesus right here? You know the step that we are to follow in the heart of Jesus right here? Look at this. Point number three is that we are called to a faith in Christ that is truly fearless. You see, I'm burdened. I hear the call for believers today. It is no longer going to be acceptable in our culture, in our world, to be marginal believers, to be half-heartedly devoted to Christ. We are called to a fearless faith. And you know what that moves us to do? It moves us to do what many of our families have done this weekend. We drove our children and our wives to the airport and sent them to Guatemala. This morning at 5 a.m., the new 5 a.m., we're up here at church sending six van loads of teenagers to San Antonio. We have a group in, in Afghanistan and Iraq right now. Are you kidding me? They went there on purpose. We have a group in Cambodia right now. We're building the mission right down the street to help people in need. You, you know, we're called to put our faith into practice we're gonna finish the book of James and, and look at how we exercise our faith every day of our lives. We're gonna let God's word speak to us. We are called to a fearlessness. 
Is that your life? Are, are we fearless followers of Jesus? You see, what's amazing about Jesus is he looked at Peter. He didn't see where he was. He saw where he could be. And so that's why Peter writes, and I want you to see it again, but, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you receive a beating for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. For Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When they hurled, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in their mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I long, I long to be a follower of Christ that says, God, I want to live my life trusting you more today than I ever have. Following you more closely today than I ever have. If we get up every day saying, Lord, you've, you've got me. I'm following you. It will lead you to a life that you can never imagine, that you will never regret. Let's get on that adventure. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head right now.